Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Again, I want to welcome each and every one of you to Believer's Church, all of our guests. We're so excited you're here. This is a weekend when we as Christians celebrate the very thing that's liberated us. We, we celebrate it all the time, but we take this special re- weekend and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. You know, when I was uh, in junior high, I went to St. Mary's uh, Junior High, the building behind the Mocha House, no longer there, and uh, we, we did science fairs. And I love science and math. They were my favorite subjects, so I didn't mind doing the mandatory science fair. And one year I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a science fair on seeds and germination. And I didn't know a whole lot about it, but I thought I'm going to do a little study and I'm going to figure this out. And so I took these glass mason mason jars and uh, I started eight weeks out and I planted my first seed in the first jar and I made it on the edge so you could see the roots and everything. And then a week later, I did the second one a week later and I had seven of them all in different stages. And remember all you that are my age, we had to have the big white cardboard, you know, and I had, I had my heading I had pictures, I had some statements, then I had my report right here, it's all on the table, and then we had to stand there and wait for the judges, and I was so nervous to have to give my oral report, and, and I, I don't, I wasn't comfortable like I am now on a stage. I remember the first two weddings I did, back in 1983, I did my first wedding, um, I almost passed out, and I, I'll never forget the bride looking at me with fear in her eyes, like, oh no, the minister's going to pass out. And what had happened is you have to read and look. And I, I was so nervous, I didn't know when to breathe. And so I hyperventilated. I, I nearly just fell over. And I did it the second wedding too. And so I'm doing it now with the judges and I'm a nervous wreck. But I got my material out. And I remember talking about the seed coat. That's the hard coating on a seed. And then I said, hey, there's an endosperm inside. That's the food that nourishes the plant until it can place its roots into the soil. But here's the part that blew my mind. I didn't know this. Um, Inside every seed is a micro plant. I didn't know that. Do you know that inside every seed, there's a plant that has one or two leaves, depending on the species. It has a stem and then it has a root system. And think about how small some seeds are. Think about apples and apple seeds and how tiny they are. And every single seed, plant, tree, they have that miniature seed inside. And then I talked to them about the germination, uh, the miniature plant, the germination, how you have to have warmth, you have to have water, you have to have the right location. And as nervous as I was, I got the highest mark of blue ribbon. I was really excited, but guess what? I walked away from there with lots of questions. I understood, but I had more questions. It, it's like, well, why does a plant produce a seed? Why does that happen? And why does that seed produce a plant that's identical to the plant it came off of. And I didn't have answers for that. I mean, I could tell you what I just did, but why did it all happen? It was kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg. And I really didn't know. And then I accepted Christ at 19. And when I gave my heart to Jesus, said, hey, I'm going to follow you. I began to read the Bible. And then I figured it out. Listen to Genesis 1, verse 14, or verse 11 through 13. And it says this, Then God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit, these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. 
And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. And you know what? That's where I figured out the chicken came first, the plant came first, the tree came first. And God literally, according to Hebrews chapter 11, he spoke it into existence. He just declared it and it happens. And once I read that, I began to understand and I began to understand God put the very spark of life in that seed. When it hits the right atmosphere, everything takes off and it's amazing. So I don't want you to worry. We're not going to talk about natural seeds today. The title of my message is uh, The Miracle of a Seed. And we're not going to be talking about natural seeds. We're going to be talking about a spiritual seed. As a matter of fact, everything on this earth was created by God to mirror heaven. Uh, heaven has trees. Heaven has flowers. Everything that heaven has, God made it down here. And he wanted us to be able to learn about him from what we see down here. But not only that, there's also one incredible spiritual seed. And God wants us to understand through seeds down here about the spiritual seed. And here's what I want, to wa want you to walk out understanding more clearly than you ever have. Jesus is God's miracle seed. I want to make that really come alive inside each and every one of us today. It's an amazing, incredible story, and it's very supernatural. And every one of us in this place that's a Christian, we've already experienced it. But I, I want you to understand it better so that it can influence and impact your life more than it ever has. Listen to what our master Jesus said, John 12, 23. Jesus replied that the time had come for him to return to his glory in heaven and that I must fall and die like a kernel of wheat, like a seed that falls into the furrows of the earth. Unless I do, I will be alone a single seed. My death will produce many new wheat kernels or many new Jesus plants and a plentiful harvest of new lives. And we're going to talk about this today. It is one of the most amazing things in the Bible. Jesus, like a seed, had to die. He had to go into the earth. He spent three days, three nights in the heart of the earth, and then he was raised from the dead. And Jesus said, if I didn't do that, I would be the only one that existed. But he did it, and now every time someone accepts Christ, the very DNA of God goes inside of us because, you know, you're really a spirit. You live in a body. You have a mind. That's your will, your mind, and your emotions. But the real you is a spirit. And when Adam and Eve sinned, the real you died. When you accept Jesus, he literally recreates you. And we're not part of the Trinity. We're not, you know, part of the Godhead. But guys, we're created in the very image and likeness of God. And we're going to talk about how Jesus is God's miracle seed. And we're going to talk about the miracles that it produces. And literally, everything begins with a seed. Christianity begins with a seed. And now we see who the seed is. So what we're going to do today, we're going to have a blast. We're going to talk about the greatest chess match that ever happened in history between God, the Father, and the devil. It's an incredible chess match. And you know what's really amazing about chess matches, guys? Um, you have these grand masters down here. And a grandmaster, not, not, not at every moment, but at different moments in the game, they can see 15 to 20 moves ahead. Can you imagine that? I've played chess. I'm not good at it at all. And if I can see two or three moves, I'm really impressed. Can you imagine 15 to 20? 
But now imagine a grand chess master down here playing chess with a toddler. We all know who would win, right? The grand chess master. But God playing chess with the devil is like a grand chess master playing chess with a toddler. But the devil didn't know it. He, he is bright, and he thought, I cannot whip God. And we're going to talk about this incredible chess match, which set everything up for you and I to have that very DNA of God come into it. And guess what? Into us. It all started with a snake. Can you believe that? And I have never told the church this story. I'm going to share a story never told today before. I'm going to talk to you about my great snake adventure. And it happened when I was 9 or 10 years old. It's an amazing adventure. And let me set it up. When I was that age, I loved Tarzan of the Apes, and I read every Tarzan comic book ever created. And then when I got into my teens, I read every ta Tarzan novel that Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote read everyone ever written, and I used to pretend I was Tarzan when I was 9, 10, and I'd go in the backyard, and I was Tarzan, but my mom always made us put socks and shoes on, and I, I always fought it, but as soon as I got outside, I took my socks and shoes off, and, and I had to be barefoot because Tarzan was barefoot, and one day I'm in the backyard. None of my brothers are around. The only one outside is my grandpa, my dad's dad, and he's working in the garden, and so I'm all alone, and in one hand, I'm holding Cheetah's hand. The other, I have Jane. And we're going on this adventure to Opar to steal some gold and bring it back, you know. And so we're on this adventure. If you're, if you're a Tars Tarzan freak, you know where that's at. And so we're, we're, on this, we're on this adventure. And all of a sudden, I put my foot down. And when I did, I saw a garter snake. You see a bunch of them behind me. And, and I saw it. And I had no, no time to react, you know. And, and, and it lunged up and bit me right above the ankle, and I went, oh, ah, no, 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 I didn't. You know what I did? I began to cry like a baby. I scream cried. It was crazy loud, and so I see my grandpa running over. Now, grandpa was born in Italy, and uh, he came when he was older, so he spoke broken English, and I'm terrible at uh, I think I'd be good at it, but I'm terrible at imitating it, but I'm going to throw it out there as best I can so you can feel what happened. So Grandpa comes running over. He's like, stop a crying, Joey. Stop a crying, Joey. I'm like, Grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa. And I point at the snake. The snake bit me. The snake bit me. So he looks at my bite. He looks at the snake. He goes, don't cry, Joey. Not poison. It's not going to hurt you. And I'm like, I begin to cry even more. So he takes this knife out of his pocket closed it's this big and I know because I now own it and he he opened it up and it's like this and I'm freaking out over the knife you know I'm nine or ten and, and he looks at me and says I'm gonna cut his head open Joe I'll cut his head off I'll cut his head off and I'm like cut his head off and he grabs that snake he has about an inch up the head's wiggling the tail's wiggling and he just takes that knife and chops the snake's head off the head goes flying still wiggling down here and now I'm even more freaked out and I start screaming even more and Grandpa throws the snake down. He wipes the dirty knife on his pants, closes it, puts it away. And this is literally what he did. He goes, Joey, quit crying, Joey. Go in the house. Cry to your mother. Cry to your mother. And he pushed me in the house. And that was the end of my great adventure. And uh, that's my snake adventure. Tarzan didn't do real well at, at that particular moment. And you know, I'm still afraid of snakes to this day. So listen to this. <clears throat> The devil possessed the snake. The snake somehow led him because he was held responsible and uh, deceived Adam and Eve. He got them to eat the forbidden fruit. I think we all know the story. And then they heard God's voice. Adam and Eve took off. 
the snake took off, the devil took off. God gathered them all together and he had a powwow. And I believe there's a scripture here that gives me the right to be afraid of snakes. I believe it's biblical that I'm afraid. So here's, here's Genesis 3.14. Listen, listen. It says, the Lord God said to the serpent, that's the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now, there are scientific experts that say they believe at this time that snakes were created with legs and at this time uh, they went to crawling on their belly. And I've heard some really bright people say they believe that's true. Can't prove it, but it's interesting. Listen to verse 15. And I will put enmity, that means hatred, between you, the snake, and the woman. And of course, God's talking to also the devil, but this is the scripture I like, right? Uh, the woman could be referring to humanity, people like me, right? And so God said there's going to be this hatred, and I believe that's why I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of snakes. I know I'm twisting a little bit. Sometimes we need to twist the scripture to help us feel better about ourselves, right? I, I still don't know a scripture that says why I'm afraid of spiders, but someday if you find one, tell me. All right, so, so listen to this. It goes on, it says, and between your seed and her seed, now he's talking to the devil, and he's talking about Jesus. First time the Bible mentions Jesus in Genesis 3.15. It's amazing. And it goes on to say, listen to this, he, Jesus, shall bruise, that word means to crush you on the head. So he says, devil, the seed that's going to come through woman, there's a seed coming through woman, this seed's going to crush your head. And then he goes on and says, and you shall bruise him on the hill. Now, the devil loved the bruise on the hill part, right? And that was referring to the cru crucifixion, Jesus dying. But it's all in code. And the grand chess master, God, is setting the devil up for a match. So the devil thought, you know what I'm going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll just pervert mankind's gene pool. I'll just make it so they're not man anymore, and then the seed can't come through. And so he tried to do that. The first way he tried to stop the seed from coming was through giants. And this story is literally true. Check, check this verse of scripture out. It's Genesis 6.1. Now, po a population explosion took place upon the earth. It was at this time that beings from the spirit world uh, looked upon the beautiful earth women and took any they desired to be their wives. Uh, those spirits are fallen angels. One third of the angels fell uh, with Lucifer. And two times they crossed the line that they knew they couldn't cross and they had relations with women. The first times before the flood, the flood got rid of them. The second time was after the flood. David, he killed Goliath. That was one of the giants. And his men got rid of the, the other ones that were left. Listen to verse 3. Then God said, Jehovah, my spirit must not forever be disgraced in man. Holy evil as he is, I will give him 120 years to mend his ways. Do you know that from this spot right here until the flood of Noah, was 120 years. That's what the chronological Bible will show you. It's amazing. So God said, I'm going to give man 120 years to stop rebelling against me, stop sinning against me. And of course, man failed. Listen to verse four. In those days, and even afterwards, when the evil beings from the spirit world, those are angels, were sexually involved with human women, their children became giants of whom so many legends are told. You know, I don't agree with all Greek mythology like Zeus and everything else. I believe God's the one God and all that. But you know, some Greek mythology has its roots in folklore from this actual event, like Hercules, you know, half, half spirit, half God, so to speak, half man. But there were little, literally, can you imagine? There were, there were half 
God half men. And the devil had perverted the seed. And he thought to God, checkmate God. And God's just laughing because he knows God is so bright. God created time. Time didn't exist until God made it. God stands outside of time. So that's why the Bible says he knows the beginning all the way to the end. He, he created time. So he's above it. Our minds can't comprehend it. But he knows what's going to happen in a million years. He knew every move the devil was going to make before the devil took it. devil didn't have a chance. But the devil thought, I'll win. But he didn't win. The giants didn't work. But at the same time, you know what else he was trying? He thought, I can get rid of the seed through this thing called rebellion. I'll make men so rebellious that God will have to destroy them. Then the seed will never cross, it, it will never crush my head. So here's what happened next through rebellion. It says in Genesis 6, 5 through 8, when the Lord God saw the extent of human wickedness and that the trend and direction of men's lives were only towards evil, he was sorry he had made them. It broke his heart. And he said, I will blot out from the face of the earth all mankind that I created, yes, and the animals too, and the reptiles and the birds, for I'm sorry that I made them. But God knew they were going to do that. Listen to verse 8. But Noah was a pleasure to the Lord. And we know he saved Noah's family. They replenished the earth, saved the animals. It's, it's only something God can do. And the devil lost Again, but there's another story here, guys, that I think is so powerful. And it goes like this. Imperfect people led to a perfect Savior who saved imperfect people. And some of you came here today, and all of us struggle with sin to this day, even for Christians. But some of you came here, and maybe you really struggle with sin. Maybe you're really struggling with some things. Maybe you can't forgive yourself for things you did and you wish you didn't do them, but you did them and you're walking around with great guilt and you're walking around feeling so far from God. You know what? Here's what you have to understand. God knew we were imperfect because of Adam and Eve's sin and God knew that we would need a perfect Savior. It was all in His plan, guys. And I think of, you know when you read the Gospels and it talks about the genealogy of Jesus? Do you know who some of the people are in His genealogy? It's crazy. You know who's in there? King David. You know, David was said to be a man after God's own heart. But you know what else David did, guys? He committed murder so he could marry the guy's wife. He was a murderer. And do you know he made the genealogy of Jesus? That shows you the grace and forgiveness of God. You know who else was in the genealogy? Rahab. You know who Rahab was? She was a prostitute who practiced in the city of Jericho. And when the two, the two Hebrew spies came to spy out Jericho, they saw him, so these guys had to run and hide. So guess what? She hid them. And because she did that, God said, I'm going to count that to you as righteousness. And, and she ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. She married the right person. That blows my mind. And then, you know, probably the craziest one in there is Solomon. You know, Solomon was the greatest sex addict that ever lived on the planet. He was crazy. Even without the internet, he was worse than any sex addict that exists today. He had 300 wives and concubines. The guy was out of control, but he's in the genealogy of Jesus. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. We're imperfect. God sent a perfect Savior, and that perfect Savior saves us imperfect people. And guys, that's something for you and I to understand. And the devil thought, I'll make him rebel. And God said, it doesn't matter what you do. I had a plan to send the seed, and you don't even know what this. You think the seed's just coming to crush your head? The seed's coming to save mankind. And, and it was all hidden. 
The enemy didn't see it. So then guess what? The seed's born. Now Satan is like, I can't believe it. He's alive. So he thought, I'll kill him. And, and we talk about this story at Christmas. There were wise men in the far east. They saw the star above Bethlehem. They made their trek to come see the Messiah. They knew the, Jew, the Jewish scripture said that, that when the star appeared, the Messiah would be born. So they're coming to see the Messiah. It took them two years. And thankfully, God brought Joseph and Mary and Jesus back to Bethlehem uh, from Nazareth. They come back. Jesus is now two. And the wise men are looking for him. And they see King Herod first out of courtesy. They go to King Herod, the king of, 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 of the Jews at that time. And uh, they tell him why we're here. They show him in the scriptures. And now he's so envious and so mad, he thinks Jesus is going to take over his kingship. So he lies to the wise men. He says, when you find them, man, I want to pay homage. I want to give them some gifts. Come back and tell me. So they were warned to go back another way. God gave Joseph a dream and said, take Jesus to Egypt. And when Herod found out, and we know the devil's influencing him, he was furious. So you know what he did? It's the most awful thing. One of the most awful things in scripture Look at this, guys. Matthew 2.16. Herod was furious when he learned that the astrologers or the wise men had disobeyed him, sending soldiers to Bethlehem. He ordered them to kill every baby boy two years old and under, both in the town and on the nearby farms or suburbs, for the astrologers had told him the star first appeared to them two years before. So he knew Jesus would be two. Jesus left. But can you imagine the wailing and the crying of the parents? so awful. But I guarantee you, every one of those kids, they went right to heaven. We'll get to meet some of these kids when we go to heaven. That's the mercy of God. And, and that's where they went. And yet the parents were crying like crazy. But guess what? The devil lost again. He lost again. So Jesus becomes of age. Now he's preaching and teaching and raising the dead and doing all these miracles. And everybody's following him. And the devil thought, I'll get the religious people, because they're like Herod. They're afraid he's going to take their space, so they want, they, they want to get rid of Jesus. He gets them to turn on Jesus, and they crucify Jesus. That's the fourth way. That's the chess match. That's his next move. I'll just crucify Jesus. But he has no idea that that's the very plan of God. God wanted him to make that move. And here's what's really cool. Listen to this scripture, guys. This is 1 Corinthians 2.7. Know the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. It's the plan of Jesus. And God gave us all kind of code. You can read all kinds of prophecies in the Old Testament, but nobody knew how to put them all together. Nobody figured it out. The devil, as smart as he was, couldn't figure it out. And listen to the very next verse, verse 8. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Now, the rulers of this world is not referring to natural rulers. It's referring to the devil. He's called the God of this world and all of his top helpers. And if they knew the crucifixion would destroy them, if they knew that that was going to be what caused his head to be busted open, he would have never crucified Jesus. That's what that scripture said. He would have never done it. And God at that moment said, checkmate. And I think the devil thought he won. You know, Jesus dies and three days, three nights, he's in the heart of the earth. And the devil's like strutting around like, gotcha, God. You thought you were good. I outchest you, man. You're done. And then can you imagine that day the grave opens and Jesus comes out? And it's like the devil's like, uh-oh, my head's crushed. And Jesus crushed his head. Can we all give a shout to God and say, thank you, God, for that? I mean, that's incredible. It's incredible. Now listen, listen. 
There's a picture painted here. You know how I said heaven, uh, uh, earth mirrors heaven? And God did something down here to help us understand Jesus. You know, he went through the fire of crucifixion. And there is this, plant, there's this tree here. It's called the jack pine tree. And the jack pine cone, which you see a jack pine cone here, it's different than all pine cones. Do you know when a regular pine tree drops its cone, the cone's full of seeds, those seeds blow everywhere and those trees begin to grow. But you know if a jack pine cone falls on the ground, it can lay there a thousand years, a thousand years, and the seeds will never be released. Water will never hit them. The temperature of the sun, it, the sun can beat down on them. It will never get to them. And do you know why? The jack pine cone is coated with a resin, resin, and the resin coats every seed. And in order for those seeds to be released, you have to have a forest fire. It's the most amazing thing. So lightning hits a forest. The forest burns down. The forest is a wilderness. And just as, it's, just as it's, the flames are going out, the resin is finally burned through. That's how strong God made it. And those seeds all fall to the ground. They begin to blow. And do you know when you have this wasted forest, everything's burnt to the ground, in about six weeks you begin to see jack pines pop up everywhere. You come back a year later, nothing else is growing yet, and there's jack pines just everywhere. And, and Jesus painted a picture. You know what? Humanity is like a burnt forest, man. Our souls are like a burnt forest. And we look at it and we think, oh, no. But God designed his spiritual seed. Jesus is God's miracle seed. He designed it so it had to go through fire, the crucifixion. And Jesus said, once I do that, then I can grow in the soil of man's heart. And every time a Christian accepts Christ, you know, we still struggle with things in our soul and our mind needs renewed and our bodies give us trouble, you know. We fall and we sin. But guess what, guys? Inside, if you accept Jesus, the very nature of God takes place inside of you and his DNA explodes. And that's why this scripture, listen to this one. It's going to make a little more sense to you. First Peter 1 Peter 1.23 says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed like all the other pine cones, but imperishable like the jack pine cone, uh, through the living and enduring word of God. The word of God is the Bible. And it's an amazing thing. You know, Jesus wrote the Bible. Uh, the Bible is one with Jesus. The two are one. If you've seen one, you've seen the other. So that's how we hang out with Jesus through the Bible. You know, when you hear the gospel, when you hear Jesus died, God raised him from the dead, the Bible says if we believe that, that's what saves us. Do you know that first gospel message is the first seed that comes into us? And every time we read the Bible, God's very DNA, his very life is going in us. And every Christian in this room, every Christian in the world, if you've accepted Christ, the imperishable seed has gone inside you and it's beginning to grow and guess what they produce they produce the fruit of what they came from and that's how the fruit of god the the fruit of the spirit the love of god the kindness of god that's how we we grow and that's how we act different but our big problems up here man our mind thinks we're the same and we walk around thinking we're a failure we're a sinner and god's saying come on guys i planted my very dna inside you listen to this scripture second corinthians 5 17 says this when someone becomes a christian he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. It's, it's the miracle of the seed. Man, the life of God began. Now, see what I underline here? A brand new person. The literal Greek language says this. It paints this picture. You become a new species that's never existed before. You know, the very nature of God's never been inside a human being, but it's inside a Christian. Again, we're not part of the Trinity. We're not the Godhead, but we're God's kids. And the Bible says you're created in his image 
and in his likeness. And that seed has literally taken root inside every Christian. And so many Christians don't act like Jesus because they don't know the very DNAs of God's inside of them. So we struggle. And listen to this. This is my last verse. 1 John 3, 9, and it says this. The person who has been born into God's family does not make a practice of sinning. I want to explain that to you. But here's why. Because now God's life is in him. So he can't keep on sinning, for this new life has been born into him and controls him, and he has been born again. What an incredible scripture. Now, some translations say that he can't sin. And man, when I, when I read it first in the King James and then some other translation, I'm a new Christian, and it said, if you're a child of God, if you've been born again, you can't sin. I was like ready to throw the towel in the day after I was a Christian, because I sinned the day after. I mean, and I've... I, I sinned every day after that, for, and I still sin every day because we're imperfect. But I fell into some bigger sins back then, and I'd read this, and i think, oh, no, maybe I'm not a Christian. Oh, no, maybe I need to do this again. Oh, no, maybe I'm not a child of God. Oh, no, maybe I won't go to heaven. And that's not what this is saying. First of all, listen to this. Notice where it says, because now God's life is in him. This is so cool. You know the common English Bible says this, God's DNA remains in them. That's important. The Amplified says this, because God's seed remains in him. When you accept Christ, his very seed remains in you. And that phrase, we don't make a practice of sinning, I want you to understand what it means. Christians can sin. We can walk away from God. We can sin a long time. But that's not what it's saying. Here, here's what's happening, guys. It's happened in my life. It's happened in your life. When I was a young Christian before I went to Bible school, I remember one time for about three months, I went to church, but in my heart, I, was, I just backslid from God. I just wasn't living the life, and I fell back into a few things, and, and I thought, oh, no, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I didn't really accept Christ. Maybe I'm not really born again. But you know, the whole time that I was there, you know what I felt? Conviction. I felt conviction. And you know, before I was a Christian, I did all these crazy sinful things, I would go to bed at night, put my head on the pillow, and never feel any guilt. I never had any guilt for sinning. But after I accepted Christ, all of a sudden I felt guilt. Do you know why? Once God's DNA gets inside you, you're never going to feel comfortable living a life contrary to who you really are. And so I have known Christians. This August will be 33 years that we're a church. Gina and I pioneered believers in 1983. So we're going to hit 33 years. And I have had the opportunity of pastoring God's people. It's been incredible. And I know Christians, I watched them walk away from God, fall into deep sin. Some of them were out 10 years or more. And you know, when they come back, you know what they tell me? They all tell me the same story. Pastor Joe, I lived this terrible life. I got caught up. This event made me do this and then that, and then I fell away. They say the whole time I was so convicted and I knew I needed to come back. Do you know why we're convicted? Well, thank God the Holy Spirit's in us, but guess what else? Your very nature is created in the image of God. Would God be convicted if he went into a very, or would God feel uncomfortable, let me say it that way, would God feel uncomfortable if you put him in a very terrible place? Sure he would, because he's God. And so I say that to encourage every one of us Christians that are in this room, the very DNA of God's in you. And if you came here today, I, there's not going to be many of you, but there's going to be one or two of you, you're in this room, maybe you've been the five-year, the ten-year, and somehow God got you here today. This is your day to say, you know what, God? I'm going to begin to live according to who I am. And for all of us, you know how I always pray? God, 
may we never be the same. May, may we change as a result of being in this service from the inside out. For all of us, I want to pray for everybody in this room. I want to pray for those that maybe you say, you know what, Pastor Joe? I'm ready to connect with God. I'm ready to let that DNA take over and to grow and become a spiritual Christian. If you're here and you say, hey, I'm ready for one or the other. Can we close our eyes? Can we bow our heads? Let's do that right now. Let's pray. And I want to ask everyone in the room to help those that are praying. There'll be just a few that are praying, but can all of you pray after me to help them so they don't feel uncomfortable? And just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I've been away from you. Thank you for opening up my eyes that I'm created in your image. And this day, I just repent for where I've been. And I make a decision to follow you. Open up my eyes. Help me see more clearly who I am. And thank you for the death of Jesus that washes my sins away. Now, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room now. Lord, make this truth more real to us that Jesus is God's miracle seed, that his very DNA is inside of us. Lord, let all of us, myself included, understand this like we've never understood it before. And Lord God, we thank you for doing that very thing. Thank you for changing each and every one of us. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Now, I want to pray because I really believe God wants to do some, some of the most important the most important miracles to him. Can we close our eyes, bow our heads? Let's have just an attitude of prayer for a moment more. If you're here and you're not sure if God's seed, Jesus, has planted his DNA inside you, I want to give you a moment to hear the message because Jesus really did die for you. God really did raise him from the dead. And Jesus said, whoever calls on my name, I'll save them. So listen very carefully as you, you're in this prayerful state. I'm not asking you to join our church. I am not asking you to join a religion. I am not asking you if you grew up in a Christian church, if you were water baptized as a baby or an adult, those are all great things. But it really doesn't matter to God if you're religious. It doesn't matter to God if you're an atheist. It doesn't matter if you live a good life or you live a crazy life. Here's what matters. It's the most important thing in all the universe. Have you made it real and personal with Jesus? And if you can't remember a day in your life when you did, I, I can tell you, what, I was 19, I can tell you all about it. You, you remember if you did it. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to give you a moment. If you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, my eyes are opened. I see what I, I had not seen. I'm ready today to pray and accept Christ as my Savior. I want you to pray with me right now. Everyone else in the room, like we did earlier with Christians, can you help these Dear people, pray by repeating after me. If you're praying this for the first time, you're saying, I'm making it real, just mean it from your heart. Just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I repent for all my sins. And this day, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe. You died. You were buried. God raised you up out of the grave. This day, I call on your name. And I make a decision to follow you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.